Welcome to Hidden Secrets to Leadership Success, the podcast that helps you be the leader you were meant to be. Our speakers are Hector McAhern and Steve Royal, both experienced leaders in their own right. They will share with you more about their careers and background as our podcasts evolve. As you will hear, leadership is a fascinating subject with literally hundreds of definitions. But the purpose of these podcasts is simple for Hector and Steve. They want you to be a better leader. No matter where you are now, what they have to share is vital to your future leadership success. So let's jump in. Here are Hector McAhern and Steve Royal. Welcome to Hidden Secrets to Leadership Success, a podcast that has as its primary purpose to help you be a better leader. We are uh, looking at the characteristics that make effective leaders, have been for a number of episodes, and hope that you've had a chance to look at them. As you uh, begin this particular episode, uh, we hope that you will um, like us uh, on uh, whatever system you're using, and that you will follow us or subscribe to us, depending on which your system uh, looks at. And when we um, do that, we when you do that, we would hope that you would give us a a strong rating as well. Uh, we always are anxious for that. And finally, if you have suggestions or questions, uh, please contact us at hidden secrets to leadership com, and uh, we will follow up with you on those. So thanks very much. Um, today we're going to be continuing our discussion of the characteristics of an effective leader. And we've covered a number of those, but today we're going to be looking at diversity and how diversity impacts the effectiveness of a leader. And it's certainly a contemporary topic that we want to uh, delve into and find out more about uh, how um, one might be able to utilize that as uh, a leadership component. And uh, so in order to do that, uh, what I thought we would do is sort of review a little bit of um, what has been done up to this point. And um, as I mentioned, we're looking at the secrets for uh, leadership, and we've included vision and self-awareness and respect and listening, courageous, uh, empathetic, decisive, trusted, leads by example, honest, and uh, results-focused. All of those are important characteristics of an effective leader, and now we're looking at diversity. And uh, rather than try to um, spell diversity into or, or uh, define diversity into a, uh, a simple definition, I thought we might look at what does diversity mean for each of us. So I'm going to ask Hector to uh, sort of start with um, how do we define diversity? Great question. Great question. Um, I think diversity means that it is a thought process and a way of including what everybody has to say or feel or experience in a particular discussion. And, uh, the value of that is it's important for you to know who I am to really gain an appreciation for what causes me to be who I am. And within the work environment, that has become so essential because unlike in the olden days, you, we used to say, uh, bring yourself to work and leave everything else home. And when you start dealing with the issues, of all of who, what you've just explained, what you start to, to realize is we bring everything to work. And <laughs> so, uh, those things can be good things. But as it relates to the issue of diversity, diversity really is understanding and what's happening and how we go about bringing everybody into the conversation 
everybody into the conversation. And the reason that's important is I want to know who you are as it relates to your life experience. And one of the areas that I always start, start with as it relates to diversity is where we started with the, with in a lot of these is to first of all, know yourself. And a way to know yourself is to force yourself to ask the very difficult question. So, Steve, as, as I think about that, I, I would ask you, who are you in the context of this discussion? What do you stand for? And in effect, what makes you, you? And one of the things that I always think about on the issue of diversity is I believe that we are all unique. We are all unique. And the idea of being unique is so fascinating to me. It, it is incredible to me. I mean, it is I don't want to jump up and down here, but I, I want you to know, as I see this, the best thing that I can bring to you is my uniqueness. And if I get caught into coming to you to be like you, we got a interesting challenge. So I'm, I'm thinking now as we, as we, as we start this discussion, who, who are you? And, and, uh, as I think about it, it's funny, uh, Friday, I had the opportunity of teaching a small course on diversity. And one of the things that I started off with was asking the audience who they were. Yeah. And, and the answer generally is I am. Uh, what I do, right? As opposed to, yeah. this is who I am. And so kind of getting the discussion started. One of the things that's important to me is I'm the son of a preacher. Okay. My father was a preacher and my mother was a stay at home mom who raised seven children, five girls. And two boys. Okay. The oldest person in my family, the oldest person in my family was a boy who left when I was very, very young. So I didn't get to know him at all. So I was, in effect, raised by a mother and five sisters, which, if you listen to my wife talk, really messed me up. <laughs> but my father as a as a minister taught me very 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 strongly how to treat people he was he was very very much into how you treat people uh regardless of who they were uh how you engage them, how you talk to them, all of those things were very much a part of what he believed in. So what I personally stand for is people are very important to me. And there's a lot about them that nobody knows but them. And the idea of really treating people in a way that you really want to be treated yourself is so, so important. Right. So I stand on that, Steve, to get the principles through which I try to operate my life. So that's, that's, that's who, that, that's who you are. That's who that is. Yeah. 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 Um, well, you and I have talked about this a lot bef before today, but, um, um, while we have, um, I was raised by uh, 
uh, a mom and dad, uh, my brother, uh, who today happens to be his birthday, um, is 10 years older than I am. And so he and I have talked about it. He and I both were raised as only children. When you think about it. Yep. Uh, he had 10 or 11 years before I uh, started sort of recognizing the world uh, to be the only child, to the, the senior boy. Um, and actually, he went off to be in the service when he was 17. So I really didn't have long to spend with my brother, and certainly not long enough to have a real deep relationship, which we've talked a lot about uh, in terms of things. Um, and um, uh, it's been interesting as we've gotten older, um, I go back and ask him uh, a lot of questions about my parents who aren't, any, aren't around anymore, uh, and questions that uh, I probably didn't think of uh, at some point, but um, so it's been interesting, the relationship that, that we've built. But um, so I look at myself as I was an only child. I mean, when you think about it, that's almost exactly how I was raised because he wasn't around very much. And almost a little bit like your experience, except I didn't have the sisters to, to beat on me. <laughs> so you had no sister. I had no. I know. I was, you know, it was just the, just my brother and I was the only child. Only child. Oh, just. Yeah. So I had no sisters. And so I hadn't, I did not have that experience. But. Um, I did have a, a, a father uh, who um, instilled a lot of the same characteristics that you're talking about. And again, it's one of the things we and I have talked about. We uh, we have similar uh, uh, morals, so similar sort of worldviews. I think of our you know, that came largely from our fathers in terms of what they uh, they viewed. And uh, my dad was one of these uh, people who. Uh, um, was raised uh, and or actually uh, came of age, I'll say, during the Depression. And so he was very much a uh, a product of the Depression uh, in terms of how he viewed the world. And uh, one of those uh, ways he viewed the world was if you're going to, I never will forget him telling me this, if you're going to take a man's money, like work for him, give him a day's work. Hmm. And that wasn't just a saying that's the way he felt and uh uh so he didn't brook any uh, uh any sort of slacking off uh you if you were going to work you worked hard and did the kinds of things that you said you were going to do and that was instilled in me and not only that um i i tell this story because i think it is so emblematic of uh of who he was um he was an avid golfer uh and when I was, I think, probably 14, um, I was uh, in the, in a golf shop somewhere, I mean, the, actually at the old Green Valley Golf Course, and um, I saw this putter that I wanted. So I went home that afternoon and told my dad, I want you to, I need $14, I never will forget, it was $14. Um and I told my dad, I said, I want $14. And he said, what for? And I said, well, I want this new putter. And he looked at me and he said, you are old enough and ugly enough. He, that was the way he said things. You were old enough and ugly enough to get your own job and buy your own putter. Uh, I still have that putter that I bought. <laughs> um, and it's an, it's an atrocious development. But, it, uh, but besides that, um, that's an example of actually he, uh, he convinced me my very first job I walked to my back back fence, and the guy who lived behind us owned a service station. And I said, his name was Jack, and I said, Jack, can I have a job? And he said, yeah, show up on Saturday. I'll let you wash cars. He paid me 55 cents an hour. Mm. But I had a job, and I, made, I worked long enough for him to earn enough money to buy that putter. And as I said, I still have it. It still means a lot to me because it signifies my dad. It signifies that hard work is important and um, that um, you're old enough to, uh, to take responsibility for yourself. And I really say this to people, have I said it to my son, I've worked ever since. I've never not had a job. Now, uh, so um, that's, um, uh, that, that's sort of when we say, who are you? I think that sort of sums up how I would... Uh, how I would describe myself to you and the, the values that I hold. Uh, but that's pretty amazing. And, and, uh, so that's another area that you and I are very much alike. I 
do not remember. And I'm thinking hard. Sorry that we're using radio time to think, but uh, <laughs> I have never not had a job. And my father got across, my father was a barber when he was not preaching. Okay. And he had a, a shoeshine stand in his barber shop. And one of the things that I learned and really, really appreciated was shining shoes, which, by the way, you know, if, if, if you want to compete with me on shining shoes, <laughs> <laughs> I can shine your shoes. I can't golf, but I can shine <laughs> your shoes. <laughs> but I really, I really appreciate it. He did not say what your father said the way he said it, but my father uh, offered to me the opportunity to work in his uh, uh, barber shop and uh, shine shoes. And I always, always appreciated that. And you're making me think now why, because I don't know if most boys want to work. I think they want to play, but I did not. I enjoyed so much working and somehow working for him that I, I really, really, really loved it. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's the other part of my story. Now, the other thing that I would say to you is, can you talk a little bit about your unique gifts? You are, um, And I'm I'm trying to think. You and I traveled together back and forth to Winston Salem. Right. And out of all of all of that, you always struck me as a person who really got relationship. And for those of you who don't know what got means, it means uh, Steve always understood relationships and how to relate very well with other people. And you always did it with me. And so through the years, through the years, we have never lost contact at all. But what I know and what's, what's important for me to say to this group is somehow I know that you value who I am. Right. Not, not just because I'm Hector, but who I am, like everything about me, you value. And I've, I've, I've always appreciated that. And it's, it, it was so easy. To be with you, you know, not, well, I got to figure out how to deal with Steve. I got to do this. And we had partners that we rode back and forth with, but it's always been so that I really valued you and I understood that in all of what we went through, you valued me and, uh, we could talk about anything. Right. We've never had to. Head or yeah, so it's 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 been it's been great for me to experience you that way, and I think um, as you think about it, that's just the way you are. Now, the other thing that I will ask you as we go through this: Are there prejudices or things that really bother you? And and I I have to admit that I do, uh, I did have prejudices when I was coming up and, uh, I don't know how I got them. I did not get them from my family, but I think when I started to move around into society, I started to notice things that were different about how people treated me versus somebody else. And of course I went through the thing where 
Uh, you had uh, men and women's bathrooms, and uh, we had to go in the theaters. We had to go in the balcony, and we couldn't come in the through the front. And we had two separate schools. Right. So I never had that kind of experience prejudice because I didn't ever co- go to school with anybody who was not black. Yeah. So, uh, how about you? Did you remember? Um, well, I, um, a couple of things that, that, that come to mind and, but I actually, I think we were probably in school at almost exactly the same time, uh, in different parts of North Carolina, but, um, um, the, um, uh, the thing that I remember, uh, most about, um, growing up, and I think I've, I've told you the story before, but, um, um, my, uh, my parents, um, my, my dad was always in the transportation business when, when I, I was born in Georgia and he, when he was with, uh, uh, the Southern Railway down in Georgia, uh, actually hauling, uh, troops around. I mean, that's what troops were moved back and forth. Uh, and this was during the war, uh, World War II. And, um, so, uh, when we came back to Greensboro, we moved into a, a house, uh, close to where he worked. Uh, and it was on a road called Moody Road, which is, I think, Moody Street now. But uh, um, uh, it was a dirt road back then. Uh, so it tells you how long ago it's been. That's in that, uh, neighborhood, that neighborhood. But one of my neighbors was uh, a little boy that we played with because I was probably four years old. And I have glimpses of my brothers helped me with this part of our my growing up because he was older and remembered where we were. Um, and so I had this friend who I remember vividly and we played every day together. Um, and he was black. Um, I I didn't, I mean, it, it made no difference to me. He was my friend and we played in the Creek and got muddy and dirty and, you know, all those things that, uh, that we did. Uh, and so, uh, um, he was, uh, he was my best friend. I honestly, of course, I remember at this age, I was probably five or six. So, you know, that, so I don't remember much about, uh, the details of that, but I do remember that. Uh, I remember him vividly. I, I have no idea how I would ever get in touch with him if I ever tried to, but, uh, uh, it, it's one of those things that I remember, uh, vividly because that was who was around and didn't, uh, it didn't occur to me. And my parents didn't say, Oh no, don't do that. Don't play with him. I mean, he was around and, uh, I remember my mother, I don't remember exactly how this all worked, but I remember my mother always had cake icing in the refrigerator because she decorated cakes that my dad would take to the terminal where he worked and the employees there uh, liked the cake so much they would pay for it. They'd pay like 10 cents a slice or something like that for cakes. And, mm. and that's how we made now. I mean, we were, we didn't have much money. And so. Uh, that's how we, uh, we made it. But I remember that. And the woman who worked with mother, uh, who made the cakes was this little boy's mother. And so she was in the house and yeah, so it was just a very natural sort of thing, uh, growing up when we moved that all changed. We moved from that street to, um, an apartment, um, in, L- in Lindley park. So totally different environment, totally different. And, that was probably my the last black person that I went to school with or knew do uh, personally until I got to high school, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then there were there were people who played on the football team with me. Although most uh, most blacks when I was in high school went to Dudley, not to Greensboro Senior. Uh, so uh, that was uh, that was part of my grow my my growing up. Um, does that help at all? Does yeah. That, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, yeah. I mean, we, we have parallel sorts of things. But when I look at uh, diversity, one of the one of the things that it strikes me about is that um, all of the, the things that go along, I, I, I know I told you this story because we, we, we were talking about it, but um, I remember being in Belk's department store with my mother. This was when Belk's department store was downtown. Of course, everything was downtown then. This was before shopping centers. 
again, dates me, tells me how old I am. Um, but um, we were walking through the Elks department store, and I was, um, I'm going to say six or seven, I guess still, was that, that, that era. Um, and um, I stopped and asked my mother why there were two water fountains. And, of course, clearly indicated over one was white and over the other one was uh, colored. I'm sorry for that, but that's that's what it said. And I asked her why that was. I asked my mother why there were two. And um, she very sheepishly, and I remember this because she didn't answer my question, actually. Um, and she just sort of said, well, it's not right, but. Let's just keep walking. In other words, she didn't have an answer for that. Obviously, it made an impact on me. I mean, I I, I wondered about that. Then why why is there a difference? I can't understand uh, the difference, and I to this day I still don't understand it. But that's uh, that's that's my, my so my experience with um with different environments, different folks growing up. Um, was really pretty limited, and uh, um, and so um, one of the things that um, I, I've really thought a lot about is, um, and I appreciate your comments about our relationship, but I I do value relationships with people, and I do work hard with uh, with trying to get to know folks. And one of the values of of things that I have had the experience of doing is that. I've done a fair amount of coaching, and in some of the leadership programs that uh, I've been responsible for, we uh, we do some coaching. And um, the striking thing that comes out of that that experience was that um, these programs um, have allowed me to meet and talk to and get to know um, folks who have a totally different up- upbringing and whose situation in today's environment is totally different than mine and but by sitting down and listening to their life experiences and asking them about uh, things like we're talking about here how they grew up and what are the kinds of issues and so forth has given me an insight into um just the the privilege that i've had and i'll admit to that uh but also the work that I've had to do to go through to understand other people and uh, and how important that is. So um, I think in terms of looking at how diversity impacts your ability to lead, it, it fundamentally, you have to understand, just as you've, or you've already introduced, you have to understand yourself and you have to understand that other people have both similar and very dissimilar experiences, and see the world both similarly and dissimilarly to to what you see. And the only way that we can understand each other is by sitting down and talking about it and being honest about it. I mean, you and I have sat down and talked about our experiences growing up and how they they paralleled, and we've talked about that so far today, but also where they were so dramatically different. that uh, they, they they were coming along, and so we had different. You you said you went to uh, to school all the way through school without having, I think you said, a, a single white person in any of your classes. Is that no, 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 that's right. Yeah, no, no, no white person. Yeah, in my class, and uh, maybe one or two in college. Yeah, so I went to Fayetteville State, and. Uh, I had the same experience from elementary school all the way up to right. to college. And uh, I think that's probably one of the things that really kind of got me thinking differently. I saw signs of differences like the water fountain and all of that. And one thing that happens to you if you are uh dealing with the whole issue of diversity is there is a tendency to paint people with the same brush absolutely so all of a sudden because of how i perceive 
white people to be as it relates to this particular offense. I see you, and I assume, oh, well, Steve's the same way. I mean, I may not know it, but deep down in him, this guy, something is something's going on. He's got this stuff. And you find yourself really judging people for what you think is going on with them, when in fact, in fact it's not. it is just not happening. Right. And getting yourself to the point that you don't believe it anymore and to the point that you don't believe others anymore. Because two things happen. One, I see it, yeah, that's Steve. And then somebody comes along and says, oh, yeah, he's that way. And the same thing has to happen to you, Steve, that somebody says, oh, well, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah, watch out for him. I was talking to somebody in the class. I was doing uh, this week. One of the young ladies was talking about, no, this was a young man talking about rolling down, riding down the street. And when he got the car going in a, a certain direction, his father reached over and locked the door. And he was passing a black guy. And the question was, well, you know, maybe not all of them, but you got to watch out for them. Yeah, for them. And uh, so that started to, to, to be an issue. And I think when you think about uh, differences, I always think about the way people learn. You know, some of us are visual. Some of us, you know, you would not. You know them a lot better than me. Some of us are auditor, auditory, and yeah. then uh, some of us are what do you call it, uh, kinetic or whatever it is. And so we see life differently. Right. And uh, I found coming along that I, I was trying to figure out. How do I see life? And does this whole issue of diversity have anything to do with the way I see life? And, uh, of course, it doesn't. And uh, up until more recently, you start to see, you, you see separate things that influence it, but they are generally separate things that are individually based. And so... Uh, I, I, uh, one of the things that happened to me when I was in the second grade, I learned in the second grade that I was in fact left hand. And for me, that was the most devastating thing that has ever happened to me. Number one, I could not do what other people could do because I did everything opposite of them. So I wrote uh, one way. They wrote a different way. They, uh, just like processing, they process things one way and I, I did another way. And one of the things that really got me was baseball because, uh, I never learned how to play baseball right hand. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what I would do is I would have to, uh, if you threw me a ball and I had a glove on, in order for me to throw that ball back to you, I would have to take the glove off uh, Okay. and throw the ball and then put the glove back on. But when we were playing uh, uh, hardball, I had to have a glove on. So I remember in the field playing. And actually, to be honest with you, and this is another one of my sports. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I got pretty good. Yeah. 
So you, if you threw the ball, I'd catch it and throw it. Yeah. And uh, pretty soon it, it, I got, I got pretty good at it. But the point was, I, I had to recognize, and still to this day, I have to recognize that every white person or every right-hand person doesn't wake up in the morning saying, so what can I do to make life miserable for every left-handed person? (laughs) (laughs) So it became clear to me that you, you, you didn't get up every, you don't get up every morning thinking about me. But if I don't say something to you about what's going on, you never know it. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm dealing with you and we're we're talking to each other, I need to at some point say, Well, you know, Steve, I'm 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 left hand, so that doesn't, and you and I talked a little bit about golfing versus uh, right-handed right. <laughs> right or left-handed, and you were telling me about, what's his name? Uh, Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson. Yeah. But the point is, you are no less, no more concerned about making my life miserable than I am about making yours miserable. But it feels that way often. Right. And so what happens is, in the work environment, where we're mixing people together and having to deal with all types of skills, it feels sometimes that nothing that happens for me happens for you. And I, I go through a point of, huh, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. And I was trying to think, guy. Uh, Recently, when we were talking about doing this, I was trying to think about whether or not I have, I have remembered any time that you and I have been together that I've actually felt like any kind of prejudice or any kind of thing was going on. And I can, I can actually say, I have not, except I noticed with this, and you probably don't want me to mention this, but I think it's important that, okay. that, that we say what's on our mind is that out of something, you said, you know, well, maybe you ought to introduce this to our audience versus me doing it. And uh, what occurred to me is I think, and you and I will probably have an argument after this is all over, (laughs) but I think that (laughs) the opportunity for people to really know what you know should come from you and not from me. Okay. Because I don't believe, <laughs> as a black person, I stand a modicum of opportunity to influence them with you doing the same thing. If you, if you did the same thing and say, look, you don't talk about Hector. You, you, look, you, you know, you don't... It, you don't talk about, about him. Just don't do that in my presence. That's a no-no. They would l- listen to you. That if I go ahead and say, well, you know, let's talk about Steve. I, I, just, I just think it's different. So that's why I always say uh, what I want us to do and the thing I think we are practicing doing is, one, telling the truth. It's, it's kind of putting it out there. Talking about our blind spots, the thing that really 
And, and and it's interesting because we are far more alike than we are different. Right. And I think that needs to be out there too. Because there are a lot of people in our society who are on the fringes. Right. And we need to get them a little more close to the middle here. And, closer, and, yeah, uh, yeah. We, we are far more alike than most people think, particularly as it relates to uh, how we run corporate America and the world. And we talk about nonprofits and all of that. We have to pay attention to diversity. And, uh, well, I, as I, I think you're absolutely right. And, um, um, I think in, in my defense, the, uh, uh, and, and I was a bit, again, being honest about this. Um, I told you once that when we did this episode, I didn't want to make a fool of myself. Uh, and so I think that, um, that's one of the things that, uh, that has driven me to, uh, um, to perhaps offer the opportunity to do the intro, you do that. It was, uh, and I just want to make sure I, I did it right because I do care about this subject a lot, but uh, I also don't want to come off as inauthentic about it, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and sort of words without meaning behind them because I do feel like um, the we and, and a couple of things that come to mind here is what you said. The the first is I mentioned how um, how much I have enjoyed the coaching environment that I've gotten into and the, the people that I have have talked to and how my, how meaningful that has been to me. But I always finish those coaching assignments um, or coaching enge- engagements um, and think, okay, I'm going back to my life, and that person is going back to their life, which is pretty dramatically different than uh, in, in, in my life, in, the, in, in that process. And so what I, what I worry about is I have a good conversation with, uh, you know, a person in, in, the, in the class, and we have a, a, an open and honest discussion with that. But then when we walk out the door, I go one way, and it's to a nice home and, you know, a warm, a warm house and a meal and um, – not a particular worry about money and those sort of things. And that person's going back to a life that is much, much different from that. But we've had a good conversation in that. And so I, I worry about, um, about seeming to be aloof or un, uh, unattached because my life goes to a different direction. Mm-hmm. And, and what I try to do is to uh, be as honest as I can about what my life is and not take on a, um, an air of, um, of insincerity. Um, you know, when we have a conversation, you and I are honest with each other, we talk uh, directly about these sort of things. And so that's, uh, that's very valuable to me. And I try to do the same thing in these other settings that I'm in. And that's to me, what I'm trying to, uh, to, to figure out here is to, um, how do we have these conversations? You and I have known each other long enough to, that we can have whatever conversation we need to have. But so many people that I run into and, and actually neighbors of mine and so forth who, uh, who I'd like to have this kind of conversation, I don't know them that well. I don't know them, their, their background or what they, where they went to school or how they, they view it. I'm, and quite frankly, sometimes I'm afraid to make an idiot out of myself. So they make some assumptions with that. Did we, did we, did we, was courage one of the things yeah. we talked about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, one of the things that um, this work has caused me to really be is more courageous. And uh, I have, and, and I do a lot of coaching as well, and one of the things that I have learned in my coaching work is to help people really understand, one, themselves, and yourself understanding your own biases. And it's interesting because when you you said something that struck me, in many cases that I've had to coach, 
I've coached people who were who were far better off financially and all that stuff than I am. Which is another is an it's another way of looking at the same right issue is people who quote are very successful in their own right and trying to teach them to do what you are trying to do for lesser people. Not so much for me, but for people who work in their environments. Uh, I remember uh, one of the one of the people that I work with who really during that time, and this was a long, long time ago, and I'm I'm certain uh he's come around now. He had quite a bit of uh gender problems and uh, he struggled with them until his daughter got old enough to graduate from college get married and uh, decide that they were going to have a baby she and her husband and he got very very interested in uh, pregnancies and how do we take care of women who are <laughs> who need help in that way and all of this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, he got it. But it, it took that for him to turn, turn around. And uh, very often, that is something that I've had to deal with. Uh, actually, not, not just as a, a person with gender, but with a, a, as a black person who is coaching a person who is well, well off in his career and doing very, very well and could say, you know, the way I'm going, I'm doing all right, so I'll just leave it just like it is. Yeah. Which is why you really have to have people who really understand themselves and who really want to be better and make life better, and make the organization better. Because until you discover, or we discover, that you've got to integrate diversity and equity and some of those things into the way we do things, we are not going very far. Because there are too many people in the work environment for us to be so homogeneous that only certain people can come in, only certain people can come in, and that sort of thing. Uh, but gender is a, is a, is an example of how thing how people really started to change with that. Right. And now the whole issue of pay equity for women. Right. It's it's out there. It's out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know what your th- thoughts about so. If it's out there, is anybody listening or do you think it matters or who's making the decisions? Very often what you find is those people who are actually the decision makers influence influence these things very, very much. Right. And uh, so I've seen that around. Well, I think this... um, uh, uh, this discussion of diversity and, and its Im- impact on leadership and how we develop leaders and what are the kinds of things we need to pay attention to is um, such a critical conversation um, that um, one of the things that strikes me about, um, about the discussion that we've had is that um, this is a subject that needs to be talked about. And I don't see a lot of conversation happening about it. I see a lot of um, commands being made. In other words, we will do this and we won't do that, or, um, you know, that um, there are things that we we just must accept without having a conversation about them. Uh, and um, and so I think those are the kinds of, of things that leaders need to, to, to change and, and look at and sort of say, Okay, um, if we're looking at, um, let's say, uh, minority issues and, uh, and how we deal with those and who we 
who we promote and um and what kinds of um i'll say privileges that we bestow on this group but not on this group and and so forth all those things are important but they don't get talked about a lot they don't get exercised to the, the level that we're talking about here they get um dictated that yeah. uh we're you know we will do this or we won't do that or um uh, we have a quota for this and a not a quota for that and uh uh, and those things are, are inequitable, I mean, not going to be equitable um, in any uh, sense of the word in any direction because we uh, we don't have the, conver- the conversation about it. And, um, and you mentioned something earlier. I'm not sure how long we've been going on this, but I'm going <laughs> to um, use this example because maybe this is a way for us to recognize what's really happening. Um, and... Um, I did a little research and uh, uh, found a uh, story that goes back into the uh, to the 1970s, and it's about um, how we make assumptions or expectations about people. And uh, um, there was an experiment conducted, and I think it was in California. It doesn't matter where it was, uh, and it was with um, basically first graders uh, in a uh, in a school. And um, the experiment was that um, the teachers were told that half of the class uh, were, were exceptional and that they were, uh, had been given tests and that they were, they were tested in the top uh, 1% of their, uh, of their class and um, they were the brightest kids and, and so forth. Uh, and um, by the way, uh, in this particular episode, uh, it was... There was no distinction made between uh, blacks and whites in terms of the of the participation, and um, so there were there were blacks and whites in both sides. And the other teachers were told that their group was the struggling group; they were the uh, the slow kids. And so that's what the teachers were told, and. So they then measured the results of the school year. I'm, I'm truncating this down to a short story. But they were told that uh, for group A was smart, group B was not. Um, and so then they measured the outcome. And in fact, group A outperformed group B by orders of magnitude. I mean, it was not even close. And the teachers, that's all they were told. And actually, they were they weren't told how it was determined or who was who in the class was uh, they they knew who the, uh, the they were. The result was the kids who were identified whose expectation by the teachers were that they were going to perform did in fact perform that way, and in fact that the kids who were underperformers were told that the actual result was. The kids were not de- had never been tested and didn't know who was who was who. They were simply a group of first graders who uh, who came together. So there was no actual distinction made, except the t- the teacher's expectation was what changed. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think we've got to talk about with diversity and and continue to keep uh, at the top of our heads is um, that when. We are talking to a group of people. We make assumptions about those people. Um, when we're in when we're in the staff that we have or the group that we have, if we make assumptions about how they're going to perform before we know anything about them or have any in- indication for that, then we are guilty of replicating that, that first grade class. We're guilty of saying, okay, the kids over here, are not going to perform well, so I'm not going to give them the opportunity, and I won't sort of spend any time trying to develop them because they, you know, they're they underperformers by definition. And over here, I'm going to spend all my time with these people because they're the ones who are going to. And in fact, I'm making the same erroneous assumptions that those teachers did back in that class. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the learning piece of, of this whole discussion about diversity is that if we make those kind of assumptions— then we are guilty to start with of treating each other differently. Yeah. Um, now, does that mean that if I get to know Hector and know that um, 
he's left-handed and, and don't put him in a, in a right-handed desk because he won't be able to perform that way. That's something I need to know, because if I want you to perform at the top of your, your game, you need to have all the help you can um, to, to do that. And if that means putting you in a left-handed desk or a left-handed catcher's, catcher's mitt or left-handed scissors, I think they make such a thing, uh, then that's what I, I need to do, I do for you, to help you perform. Not because I feel sorry for you, but because that's how I'm going to help you. And the same thing is true with other sorts of issues that we know about uh, people. So I think what what I see as the result of, of all of the conversations that we're having is that if we make the wrong assumptions about people, we are we are uh, destined to underperform where we could be. And the only way to verify those assumptions or to make sure that we don't make those assumptions is by sitting down and talking to each other and understanding where they where you came from. And that means that not only do I have to make sure that I have the opportunities to have that conversation with you, but conversely, you have to be comfortable enough in having a conversation with me that you're going to be open and honest with me. Otherwise, we're, we're just wasting our time. I think that's great, and I think that's so true. The other thing I would add to that is, once you do that, uh, I need to make certain that I make certain that you have access to, quote, the powers that be a somebody in authority who can make a difference beyond you. So, for example, when I was running a, a pretty good-sized team, I had uh, a couple of people on my team who helped me run the marketing department. And uh, it was tough to run because a lot of stuff was going on. And I remember there were uh, a couple of young men on that team who made a promise to me that they would not allow me to look like an idiot. By looking at advertisements and allowing me to overlook something that I absolutely should have seen. And that's what can happen if you don't take advantage of the people around you to help influence, you know. Right. That right there, that is so xenophobic. You need to get rid of that. Right. Or that is so this or that. You need to change that. When that happens, it really helps you make a great decision. So a lot of what we're talking about in order to achieve what we want to achieve, to make great decisions, to cause people to really, really do well, is for them to know themselves, they, to know their gifts, and to have the opportunity to exercise them. Right when the opportunity comes. And so again, uh, it's a great idea, like you said, and I'll conclude it with this, Steve, is the idea of discussion and talking about these things and giving each other the right to be wrong right. is critical. It is absolutely critical. And um, and, and I, I, I couldn't agree more and, um, the, the ability to have those discussions. That's why I think one of the reasons that we've had such a, a long friendship, but, uh, also that we've been successful in some of the roles that we've had is that we go out of our way to try to understand, um, the, the person that we're talking to or the people that we're talking to and communicate that so that we understand because only by having those conversations can we be successful and and that's what we're trying to do here so i hope this has been a um it certainly has been a uh, an eye-opening discussion for me i hope it has been for you and we hope it has been for all of you that are listening that um the whole topic of diversity is one that needs to be aired in uh in the light of day uh with um, people having permission to make mistakes. Uh, if we don't do that, we are destined to have failure be part of our partnership. So 
Thank you very much, Hector. Enjoyed today. If you've enjoyed our session today, please um, uh, either follow us or subscribe to us or uh, find uh, the rating service for your uh, particular way that you're listening to us and um, and give us a, a, a rating and a, a hopefully a, a strong one. And if you've got questions or want to uh, have more of this sort of thing, please go to our website, hiddensecretstoleadershipsuccess.com and leave us a question, leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks very much. Have a great day. That was great, guys. And a special thank you to our listeners. Remember, better leadership is your path to success. Please let us know how you like the podcast by giving us a five-star rating, by following us, or by subscribing to the podcast. Most importantly, please submit your questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes to our website, hiddensecretstoleadershipsuccess.com.